everyone, and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge. Today is May 30th, 2018. So today, realistically, we've got to start with the women. What an amazing battle we had at the San Francisco Open uh, for the first time ever, as far as I know. Uh, every female player had a camera on them at some point, probably for if they played uh, 54 holes, probably for 40 plus holes each. Uh, we got some amazing footage. Daniela is going through that, putting together some clips, and uh, we're going to have some very exciting stuff uh, showing women, lots of women succeeding at disc golf going forward. Great stuff. Uh, we also, for the first time ever, had same day shot by shot uh, edited coverage with commentary put out right before the men went live. It was an amazing uh, exercise to make it happen. Basically, the women filled that first hour, and then Dixon Jowers' Circle Zero show filled the next 15 minutes until the men went off, and then we had the men go off. And the men's round took anywhere from pro probably just under three hours. So the entire show with the men, the Circle Zero show, and the women was around four hours, 10 minutes, a really efficient use of time. All in all, a fantastic effort. My family, in addition to loving ice cream, we love playing cards. And uh, we go to Maine every year. And for a couple of weeks, if we can all get up there. And when I was a kid, we were all up there because mom and dad brought us there. Um, we would go to Maine and, and we would play outside and have read books. And then at night, we'd go inside and we'd play cards. And one year I decided... I'm never going to lose a card game at all for the entire two weeks. And I told everybody, I said, this year is going to be known as the reign of terror. And everybody is going to just lose and lose and lose to me because I am not going to lose a single card game all year. And uh, lo and behold, with that great confidence that I had, I spent the first three days winning and winning and winning. And I don't know if anybody was really worried about my reign of terror actually coming true, but I was feeling I was on on cloud 14. That's I was way up there. Everything was going my way. And then on day four, uh, I don't know the game. I don't know who else, who beat me, but I was beaten. And from that point on, I'm not sure if I won another card game the rest of the vacation. Uh, once people knew I was it was possible to defeat me. I couldn't, I couldn't manage anything. So what does that have to do with this golf? Well, if you watch the San Francisco open, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sarah Holcomb put the hammer down averaging close to 980 rated golf. Amazing. Three amazing rounds by Sarah Holcomb. She beat her competitors. I'm, I'm going to try to look it up real quick. Sarah Holcomb won by eight strokes uh, giving up two strokes to Katrina in the final round. So she had, she had everybody by 10 or so gave up a couple strokes, maybe playing a little safe and, uh, ended up winning by eight strokes in the, uh, in the San Francisco open, uh, a dominant showing up until this point, nobody thought Paige Pierce was touchable. And then Sarah Holcomb comes out to a ball golf course of all places where distance and power matter. And she goes out and has the, the, the tournament of her season so far. 
uh, all of a sudden, the, and we're going to talk with Matt Kruger later today, uh, but all of a sudden, tour points, the, the race for first on the women's side is legit. Sarah gets another win or two, and uh, and Paige, I know Paige is already planning on missing a couple of events. If she misses a third event, tour points really become interesting, presuming Sarah makes all the events. So we'll get into that a little more with Matt Kruger. But I think we can officially say we're in day four of vacation and Paige Pierce's reign of terror is over. And Sarah Hokum has shown, hey, I can play and maybe it's my reign of terror. It's my maybe it's my time. And not only that, but Katrina Allen showed up, had a fantastic three rounds, actually tied Paige Pierce for second, had a putt for to take second all by herself and ended up laying it up. Didn't want to risk losing second, potentially a smart move, depending how she was feeling about that putt. And Jessica Weiss, who I think on day one, four putted the final hole, finished one stroke behind the two of them to finish in fourth place. So all in all, a fantastic showing by the women. Uh, it was great to watch and uh, huge congratulations to Sarah Hokum. Uh, a lot of people very excited to, to watch Sarah, especially after Waco, everybody's heart went out and, uh, and she is uh, she is a competitor through and through and she's someone who wears her emotions on her sleeve. And that's the kind of thing that uh, everybody just loves. So huge shout out to, uh, to Sarah Hokum. Well done. And uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, and doesn't win again the rest of the season, or in my case, the rest of vacation, or if she bounces back, redoubles her efforts and shows us why, in fact, she is the best in the world. So time will tell. Uh, they're headed up to the Beaver State Fling, and then the next Pro Tour event is the Utah Open. So stay tuned for that. More on that in the coming weeks. I think that uh, I think Waco does an, a very impressive job. Idlewild does a very impressive job. The MVP Open, Ledgestone do very impressive jobs. Utah even has a lot of staff. San Francisco might have put us all to shame. That staff was incredible. Uh, they might have had 18 spotters out there. A spotter made, might have had more. There was at least one spotter per hole. So amazing staff. Uh, each night there was there was great things going on. The first night there was a $20,000 hole in one contest. Uh, the second night they had drone racing. Oh my gosh. And, and the drone racing towards the end of the guys were throwing golf discs and they were throwing the drones. The drones were actually racing, doing loops around the, the golf discs as they were flying. Uh, that's some footage I would love to get a hold of. And if anybody has that footage in San Francisco, please, please, please put it in a Dropbox and send it to me. I, I want that footage and we need to include it in some highlight film of San Francisco. So uh, nonstop fun, uh, fantastic food, uh, very well run event, a great payout on a ball golf course in San Francisco overlooking the bay. Really can't ask for much more. Those guys did a fantastic job. And uh, and Sarah Hokum and uh, haven't even talked about the men yet, but Sarah Hokum and Paul McBeth walk away the champions of the first of the inaugural San Francisco Open. Hats off, a tip of the tuft to the entire San Francisco crew. You guys rock, and uh, we can't wait to see you all again next year. And we'll talk more about the men's side later on. In just a second, I'm going to bring Matt in, Matt Kruger from UDISC. We're going to talk about tour points, why all that stuff matters, and how, how we go into all that. Um, but real quick, I want to run through some statistics, and, and let's talk real quick about uh, 
we'll do we'll do uh, we'll do the women first, and then we'll talk with Matt, and then afterwards, if we have time, we'll do the men and talk about how how Paul managed to beat uh, Ricky Simon Eagle and Drew Gibson, um, who were the uh, finished out the top five. So on the women's side, though, Sarah Hokum, the way that Sarah Hokum won was realistically it was circle one in regulation and her OB strokes. Uh, circle one putting was very close among all of the women. And so it was just a matter of getting into circle one. And that's where Sarah Hokum really put the pedal to the metal. Over 52% of the time she was in circle one in regulation. That's going to give her a lot of birdie looks. The other competitors, uh, Katrina, Paige, Jessica, they were in the mid thirties. So with an advantage like that, and then additionally, Sarah Hokum going over. Yeah, one every 12 drives, so one and a half OB strokes per round on that course where there's 18 holes with OB, phenomenal control. And that's how you win a tournament by eight strokes on the women's side. Uh, great showing by Paige Pierce. I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> great showing by Sarah Hokum. And uh, with that, let's see if I have one more stat page pulled up. Oh, so Paige Pierce's uh, OB rate although her uh, her circle one in regulation was 44%, which is a, a pretty good showing. And then uh, Jessica Weiss, her circle one in regulation was, was one third as opposed to Sarah's one half, but her OB rate was better. So a little more controlled, but not quite as many birdie opportunities. All of that makes sense. Sarah Holcomb was able to put both of those together and succeed in spades. So with that, let's see if, uh, Let's see if Matt Kruger is here. Uh, Matt, great to see you again. You too. Sorry, the lighting's not great. You got me like right at dusk. So we're going to do the best we can here. Uh, just like me, you look phenomenal. So, oh, awesome. Uh, now, Matt, the, the primary thing that I wanted to talk with you about is tour points. Because, And I'm going to pull these up in another window while we chat. Um, where are those tour points? Here we go. So when I pull up, for example, the women's tour points, uh, it says uh, Paige Pierce has 380, Sarah Holcomb has 314, and then Katrina Allen 270, Jessica Lee's 261. Uh, with those tour points, however, uh, they get a couple of drops during the season. Is that correct? Yep, uh, two drops this year. So that means that, yeah, your two worst showings, or if you don't play two events or something like that, uh, you drop those two. Okay. So, for example, Madison Walker, who didn't show up to Waco, uh, she has a seventh, a second, and a sixth. That her, her rating right now with that event, that event is included in her stats right now. Is that true? Um, I mean, essentially, yeah. Yeah. So um, we haven't discussed this yet, but I think we should. When do we want to calculate in those two drops? Seems like um, well, it seemed like after seven events are played, right? Oh, or, okay. That uh, makes sense. Or, you could do it after maybe after halfway through, get rid of one, and then after seven or eight, get rid of another. I don't know the best way to do it. I mean, in the end, it's going to come out the same, right? It is. There's <laughs> wait. Oh, okay. Now, I don't want to put programming on your plate. I know that you have 
a lot to do. Yeah, there's there's a few things to do. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there in case Josh is listening and in case he knows how to do this super easy. If there was a button up top that said two drops, then we could just take out those two and it could just we could just see it as we go. And so people would look at the numbers now and then they could also just say drop the bot the worst two. Is that an easy thing to do? No. <laughs> I mean, we, we certainly could uh, investigate that, but I think I, that I could do it in Excel. You just use the min function. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You, know. you, you probably don't use software as, as advanced as Excel. I don't know. It's funny because Excel is like my least favorite program in the world and I try to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> I'd rather write code than build a spreadsheet. <laughs> you just use the min function. Yeah. No, no, I mean, like doing the math is very simple, obviously, but showing it and allowing people to click on things and that sort of stuff is, that's what takes time. The, the clicking is the, is the time killer. Um, yeah. and, and you're absolutely right. Cause you guys could obviously take out the two bottom scores right now yep. and, and we could be going. And I wonder if that's the best thing to do. And we should have thought about this before we called. Yeah. I mean, and, and certainly that, that wouldn't be that hard to do. Um, it's just a matter of doing it. And then the only thing I'd be worried about there is that that could maybe, that could maybe be a little bit misleading because if somebody had only played, you know, a couple of events and they won both of them, uh, they're always going to be in first until the next. You know, somebody else come. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of different ways you could look at that. Um, but I think the, you know, the conversation maybe you wanted to have was last year, I think there was only one drop in the off season, uh, you and I and Josh were discussing how many drops, you know, were appropriate. Uh, and it, we were kind of just talking about how not everybody can come to every single event and it's not necessarily, you know, we want everybody to go to every event, but it's not necessarily feasible with everybody's schedules to align. Um, and I know last year there were some B tiers and, and some things like that, that not everybody went to, um, which is not the case this year, but with having two drops instead of one, it just makes more sense uh, to be able to kind of find out who really is. As we go. Oh, you're there now. <laughs> I think that your uh, your internet's not so good at the library today. The library, tiny little library letting me down. Um, I'm sure yeah. it's on my end. I know it's not on your end. With a smile like that, your internet's working great. Um, <laughs> but uh, to, uh, to the point, I think that you were saying, we uh, over the off season, we looked at the, some numbers and we did, if we had had one drop, two drop, three drop, maybe even four drops, and what, what would have happened and who would we want to uh, reward? And I think yep. we agreed that uh, it's either two or three that the answer should be. And, uh, and we didn't want to, we didn't want to, we wanted to be cautious. And so we, we increased the number from one to two, and we're thinking about going to three next year. So, right, yeah. Yep, yeah. and that makes sense. I mean, you don't want to drop too many because then you could only play in three events or something and win the whole series, which is kind of against the point of having a series, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so when we look at, for example, when we look at uh, Paige Pierce and Sarah Hokum, like obviously Sarah has a first and a second, and Paige has three firsts and one second. If we drop their lowest, Paige is at 200 points and Sarah's at 185, and it's a lot closer than it seems. Okay. Yeah. Yep. If you drop two, they're, they're uh, pretty much tied right now. Yeah. And it's, and it's going to be interesting because while Paige had a tremendous start to the season, she by no means has this wrapped up. Um, if Sarah, if Sarah ends up dropping her fourth and sixth, and those are in fact her worst events, then uh, Paige better watch out. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, if she gets first or second the rest of the season, then it could be anybody's game. Absolutely. And uh, and even Katrina Allen, it, she has a, a fourth, fifth, sixth, and a second. She drops that fifth and sixth, and she's she's right in the ball game as well with a couple of good wins. And, uh, and she had a fantastic event. So the other interesting thing, when I look at UDISC Live, uh, you've got especially I'm looking at the women's side right now, you've got brackets here or you have ads here. I should say you have the first four players and then an ad and then the next eight players and an ad. Can you tell us why those ads are there? Yeah. So that was intentional. We kind of wanted people that are going to make uh, certain cuts to be above, you know, above the ad is kind of, I think the terminology that we all were talking about before. So if you see those blue bars at the top, uh, the first four, the top four make uh, get a bye to the semifinals. And then the next uh, five through 12 are qualified uh, to make it, you know, to the pro tour finals in the first place. Uh, yeah. And on the women's side, there's only three rounds this season. Yeah. So the five through 12 qualify and then one through four actually get a buy and don't have to play that first round. So that's, yep. that's pretty significant. Correct. And then if you uh, look on the men's side, it's slightly different. Um, but it's the top eight that get a buy to the semifinals and then an ad and then uh, nine through 16, they get a buy to the quarterfinals. Um, there's all, you know, all the text is there. And at the top, it kind of explains the whole thing and has some links to the point structure and the payouts um, for everything to, if anybody's curious to go dig a little bit. Uh, yeah. And the tour championship, as everybody knows, is a very unique format. And on the men's side, I think, as you said, it has four rounds and uh, the, the top, I, I think, uh, 17 to 32 that have to play in the first round with the top eight advancing. So eight of those 16 players advance. The single most exciting day in disc golf when we have four foursomes, win your card to advance. Don't worry about anybody else except what's on your card right there. And there are some, those are four tremendous battles. Oh yeah. And that's, I think that's been the most fun one to watch each year, at least for me, um, because it's kind of a different sort of thing. It's not really about getting the lowest score. It's about beating everybody you're playing against in that group. One of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes from last year, uh, I believe it was Paul Macbeth. It's possible it was Ricky Wysocki, but I think it was Paul Macbeth um, after the USDGC and then, and then the hall of fame classic and you could just feel the fatigue in the players because this was a brand new finish to the season. And uh, Steve Hill asked Paul Macbeth, I believe, are you going to be able to get up for the finals? You know, you said you were kind of kind of lackluster going into the semis. And he said, well, I'm playing Ricky directly. I won't have any problems getting up for this round. And it was really exciting because it was just, here we go, one round, winner take all, done with it. Really yeah. Good. Yep, and that's what it's all about. We want to get all the best people playing against each other um, on the biggest stage, you know, with the most cameras and the most people watching. Right. And, and see what they can do. <laughs> so tour points matter. The other thing that's interesting with tour points uh, is, for example, like Devin Owens is in 17th place and Dave Felberg is in 23rd. If they go into the first round and those guys tie, Devin Owens wins because of tour points. And that's, I love that concept where you could get bumped out because you didn't have as many tour points and watching these guys sitting on that bubble, recognizing, 
oh man, I'm behind him because he had beat me in tour points is so much fun to watch. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And then if you look more at that page too, it shows you which events they're registered for. So that kind of gives you an idea too of maybe who has a slightly better chance of getting, you know, more opportunities to score, I guess you could say, if they're registered for all the events versus just playing a couple here and there. You're absolutely uh, right. For example, I can see that Devin Owens is registered for everything. And Nate yep. Perkins, who's just two, two slots behind him, is only registered for three more. So Devin's going to get some good drops and Nate's going to get some drops of events that he's not going to. Right. And it's also possible they just haven't registered for that event yet, and they will. Uh, that, but, that's true. <laughs> that, that is very yeah, like, like, for example, Paul Macbeth isn't registered for the MVP Open yet, which I would be pretty shocked if he didn't play in. Uh, that's <laughs> interesting, because I think he is registered. He just hasn't probably hasn't finished his registration. Yeah, I, yeah. I haven't pulled for a couple of days, so it's also possible that he did it in the last five days or so, and I haven't updated it. Um, maybe. It's possible he's... He, Gave me money and I didn't update it. Yeah. <laughs> Anything's possible. But he has $3,100 more now than he did a week ago. Yeah, that's true. He can probably afford to register for that one now. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a, a really good finish uh, on, on the San Francisco side. So I wanted to chat with you again. Another thing that I love um, as, as a developer, and I'm a, you could argue I'm a developer of a tour, people come to us with interesting ideas all the time. And I want to know with you disc, has, has anybody ever come to you and said, Hey, why don't you guys, you know, have you disc show me where the nearest ice cream shop is or, or, or anything. What's the most ridiculous thing somebody's asked you to put into the U disc app. What's the craziest idea you've heard? Craziest idea, probably a windows phone app. <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness no um there's a lot of good ideas people have great ideas all the time and a lot of them are more just like this would be really technically challenging to do and it's not you know what we feel like doing i think maybe the funniest one so and this ties in really well with the pro tour so you know the uh the black ink discs commercial that is kind of the dating app spoof absolutely so we got that idea once <laughs> oh really and, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was kind of like, are you serious? <laughs> and I think that they were, uh, but you know, that kind of, I didn't really want to entertain the idea of a, uh, an actual disc golf dating app. Uh, so we, we passed on that one. <laughs> that would be really it. Now, can you chat inside your disc? Not yet. That's something that we hope to do eventually. But. Okay. Cause it's fun to taunt people and, and, you know, fronting on the mic is always a good thing. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. People ask for trash talking and things like that. And that's, that's certainly something that we'd like to do eventually, but we're more focused on the, uh, you know, the scoring aspect of the game right now. As you should be, you gotta, you gotta dial in one thing at a time. Um, that single button though, that'd be interesting to press. Yes. I'm single. And uh, <laughs> here are 9,000 other guys that are else. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think that's a very feasible idea right now, but as we grow the women's side of the sport, then maybe it'll be more equal. And uh, that could be a real thing. I was going to say, would that incentivize women to use the app more or less? Probably, Probably less. Less. Yeah. Where in the, the sport is, is nine to one. Do you have user data on what the ratio of men to women is that use the app? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty much the same as what you see for all of disc golf. I think it's usually like 91% male and 9% female or something like that. Yep. Um, is that uh, what you see? 
the the viewership numbers of the San Francisco Open, uh, according to YouTube, were about ninety five to five. Yeah, um, that's that's maybe a little bit more lopsided than I've seen. I think even like PDJ, if you look at, I think they have data on that at something like ninety one yeah. percent male or something like that. Yeah, and usually I think what we see is pretty aligned with that. Anywhere between five and ten percent. Uh, and hopefully we'll get those numbers up. Once we get them to 30, 40%, maybe, maybe then you can incorporate that little. <laughs> I don't think we want to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a, that is a very funny idea. And thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah. I will say though, the, the Facebook, that's, that was the button that made the Facebook take off. I suppose. So, yeah. You know, but this I, is know, I think the, Think the windows phone app is going to happen before that does <laughs> <laughs> well i will give windows i hope windows does make that happen it never hurts to have competition um but that app just the, the phone just looks funny yeah well i mean they've been around for a long time and it's you know i don't i've never actually known somebody that has one but every once in a while you'll get that email and especially so if not to get on any kind of tangent but there were a lot of windows phones in finland because nokia was bought by Oh, right. Microsoft. And uh, they switched to Windows Phone. So for a while, there were a lot of Finnish people with Windows Phones. And that, I think, has slowly gone away, hopefully. <laughs> I, I know one person uh, that has that used a Windows Phone, and they thought it was great. I, thought, I mean, they probably are, but, you know. <laughs> nobody uses them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you know you know how good Skype is, and that's uh, that's made by them too. So. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> uh, here we are in Google Hangout. Yep, nice and easy. When the when the library internet works, it's perfect. So, uh, Matt, do you have anything else you want to share with us? Uh, any anything coming up with UDisk that uh, that you want to let people know about? Sure. Since I'm here, um, we have a gigantic update coming out in about a week that we've been working on for a couple of years now. So you're finally going to be able to do the same kind of advanced scoring that you see on UDIS Live for your own personal rounds, finally. Fantastic. <laughs> you'll be able to, Is that you'll, for you'll be able to track pro users only? Um, well, it, it'll align with the regular pro limits. So like um, most everything we do is free, but if you want to keep an unlimited number of scorecards, then you need to be a pro user. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, so you'll be able to do the circle one putting and circle two putting and fairway hits. In fact, we renamed it to driving. Uh, it'll be just a little bit different than how UDIS Live works, um, more geared towards um, practicing versus competition. Uh, so, but it's, it'll be very similar and you'll be able to track all the stats that you see on UDIS Live. And I think that it's really going to change how people uh, practice and play because it really allows you to analyze your game quite a bit more. Um, and, and we've also rewritten just about everything with the app. It's, been a huge effort and taken us quite a while but the plan is next week so stay tuned for uh for some big updates so if you're planning next week you've got this thing dialed in yeah it's it's pretty much done we're working on some kind of uh you know last not last minute but it's kind of buttoning things up you know everything is solid and we're adding some uh things like being able to share your scorecards really easily uh in a nicely formatted graphic and things like that oh. so that you can um, oh, have all these Share your your scorecard to Facebook or Instagram. Or yeah, yep. We're working on stuff like that, and all the all the core stuff is totally done. And we've been beta testing it since oh, what was it? Probably March. I think we started the beta probably in the middle of March, end of March. So it's been going for a couple of months now with a few hundred people. You could argue you've been beta testing it since 2016. 
Well, sort of, but this is a completely different code base and everything totally rewritten. And yeah, well, that is, that is very exciting news. I assume you've told that other places, but I'm happy to help the 14 people that are listening here can find out <laughs> well. Um, that's There's 35 people listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a start. Um, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Matt. Uh, congratulations on how far you've come on uh, quitting a good paying job and <laughs> making it in disc golf. And well, yeah, yeah, essentially making it. I mean, <laughs> I'm still not to where I was before I, uh, when I had my old job, but hopefully someday. Uh, that's, it's kind of ironic that, that we froze up right when you were saying that. What, what was that last sentence again? Oh, I was just saying, yeah, you know, making a living on disc golf is certainly hard, and it's you know, nowhere near what it was with a real job, but this is way more fun. So. Yeah, uh, I don't miss those golden handcuffs at all. Um, right. It's much more liberating to, you know, do what you, not necessarily what you want to do, but to be able to kind of choose the direction that you're going. Right. A hundred percent agree. Uh, and we, we took similar jumps and yeah. I can't imagine looking back. Exactly. I hope I never have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you, Matt. And with that, yep. I'm going to review the men's side of the San Francisco Open and then maybe talk a little bit about numbers. And if we get Jeff Spring, that'll be, uh, that'll be an extra bonus. I'm going to go eat dinner. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Enjoy. I want to do some quick reviews uh, on the men's side of the game. And a huge shout out to Paul McBeth, who got his first pro tour victory of the season. Um, and he is now just eight points behind Ricky Wysocki uh, in the tour points in, in tour points. Um, let me see if I've got that. I do have that pulled up. So when I look at this, uh, Ricky is they're Actually, they're both dropping a 13th right now. So that probably will get dropped. And then the other one, Paul will be dropping a fifth and Ricky's dropping a fourth. So right now, Ricky has has the lead and has a small advantage by that, uh, that fourth versus that fifth after they're, after they dropped their 13th. So Ricky at 288, Paul at 280, Eagle McMahon at 227 and Garrett Gurthy at 220. Um, what a surprise Garrett is. Oh, and Garrett actually has a, a 35th place that he's going to be dropping. So once, once we do these drops, these numbers are going to tighten up quite a bit. Uh, I think after Utah, I'm going to ask Matt, let's go ahead and, and set those two drops and we'll gray those boxes out. And then as we progress, we'll gray out different boxes. Um, but Utah will be halfway. And that's, it seems like that's a good point for us to start doing those drops and show people how, how tight this really is. So uh, then the other thing that I wanted to chat about was the statistics on the guy's side. Um, and it's interesting because on the men's side, uh, I should say on the women's side, it was circle one in regulation and OB strokes. And uh, on the men's side, I think maybe because the tournament was so close, uh, when we look at circle one in regulation, uh, Eagle McMahon actually led that category. But then we look at circle one putting, and Eagle McMahon actually was under 80% in circle one putting, which is a very low number. I'm, I'm going to go scroll down and just see 
I actually don't see anybody in the top 30. Wow. You have to go down to 38th place before anybody has less than, than uh, 80% circle one putting. So that's where Eagle McMahon lost a lot of strokes. His OB rate was, was in line. Uh, his circle two putting was actually very good. Um, and the circle one and reg circle two and reg were actually better than anybody in the top 10, but that circle one putting destroyed him. Um, and then we look at Ricky Wysocki and he was neck and neck with Paul in almost every category, uh, just a smidge behind in circle one in regulation. It was 46 to 43 circle two in regulation, 67 to 63. Um, circle one putting was 94 to 92. So just a smidge behind in every category. He did beat Paul McBeth in circle two putting, but probably not enough circle two putts to make it, um, to make up that ground, even though it was just little smidges here and there, when you lose by just a few strokes, just a couple of smidges is all it takes. Um, and what was the last thing that I was going to do? Oh, I wanted to talk about the viewership of the San Francisco Open. As we all know, this was the first time we did same-day shot-by-shot FPO coverage. Uh, huge shout-out to Madison and her co-hosts. Uh, we had Lisa Fakus. We had uh, Christina, uh, Christina, I want to say Tinicum. And then uh, Kona Panis helped her with the, uh, with the commentary. Huge shout out. They all did a fantastic job. And, um, and the, the, actually the audio audience retention rate, uh, for that first hour on day two and three was higher than we've ever seen. Uh, once people tuned in and watched that, they kept watching. It was an engaging performance. Uh, so huge shout out to Terry Miller. He edited all of that huge shout out to Chad Inman, who, walked two rounds each day, first with the ladies, then with the men. And then huge shout out to, um, to Madison and her co-hosts for giving us the commentary on that. It was all in all a, a phenomenal effort. And then going into that once when the, uh, during the circle zero show, we actually saw a small bump in uh, viewership, but our audience retention rate was not quite as high live broadcast. You're waiting for the guys to shoot. Uh, versus edited, the whole thing's edited down to a 50-minute, maybe one-hour show, and it's just constant action. Once the men's coverage started, uh, we had good retention, and the average uh, average watch time for day two was 36 minutes, and the average watch time for day three was four, over 40 minutes. In the U.S., it was actually 42 minutes. So uh, the watch time was very, very good. And the audience retention, especially on the women's side, was phenomenal. Uh, almost nobody tuned out once they started watching. Once you watch about four or five minutes of the women's side, you were hooked. Uh, it was a great show, all in all, very well done. So uh, the, one, the one caveat I would say, uh, the number of viewers that we had, concurrent viewers on the first day was relatively low. I think we peaked out around 1,700. And then we got up to about 2,500 on day two and 33, 3,400 on day three. So a really nice steady climb. Um, but that, that first day, and we might've lost a lot of people because we did the women. And then as a separate 
stream, a separate uh, broadcast. We did the men. So it was two, two distinct broadcasts. And we noticed we had about a thousand people watching. And then we asked them all to go out and then come back into a different broadcast. And the second day we realized that's not the way to engage people is asking them to leave and come back in. So we decided to just keep going with that one broadcast and uh, we'll have to figure out some, some way to split those out so that we can have two separate broadcasts after the event. But during the event, I like the idea of leaving them on with one broadcast. And while, while we're doing this, I'm actually going to go. I normally don't do this, but I'm going to go to the live stream and I'm going to look at the comments and see if you guys have made any comments that, uh, that we want to talk about. Why is Steve always in a library? Uh, with the exception of tonight, the library offers very good internet signal. The internet at the house is not anywhere near as good as at the library. Um, and the libraries are a great resource. If you ever have a meeting that you're doing with a bunch of people, you can get these little rooms. Uh, they also have tons of books. Um, Audrey's laughing at me because she loves books. Paul is not registered for Idlewild Open. I live pretty close, so kind of bummed with Ricky is, so it'll be okay-ish. I think Paul will be at the Idlewild Open. I also think he will be at MVP. Oh, what about Central Coast doing the final round? I think that was a bad move viewership-wise. So, uh, Carver, I will say that uh, Central Coast and Jomez came out to the memorial. Uh, they came out to San Francisco Open, and they're coming out to Utah, both of them. So uh, what they did was they, these are three round events. So they wanted to split up who got the final round. And I'm confident, I think Joe has got the final round of Memorial central coast said, we really want the final round at San Francisco. Cause this is kind of our home, especially or for Corey, it is at least. And then I would bet that at Utah, it'll be Joe Mez on the final day, but I'm not actually sure they might be flipping a coin and regarding views. I'm, I think that there are more subscribers to Jomez, but I think that uh, Central Coast does a phenomenal job, and I would expect just as many people will tune in uh, to watch that coverage on Central Coast. So I will respectfully disagree with you on there. Um, why not have FPO and MPO main cards closer to each other so the ladies have a larger gallery? Jeremy, that's a really interesting question. What we've found uh, when the women go off right before or a few cards before the men, uh, the gallery actually goes to the men and there's not nearly as many people watching the women. We've had much better success getting galleries when the women go earlier in the day and then people will watch the women, then they'll go eat lunch and then people watch the men. They make a day of it. So uh, that's the reason for that. Uh, additionally, uh, what we've been doing up until this event, we've been splicing in the coverage in the live, splicing in the women's coverage into the live coverage. And now we're doing same day shot by shot edited coverage right before the live coverage. So uh, other, those are the you know similar reasons we're doing this so that more people will watch, uh, not so that fewer people will watch. Thank you, Carver G. Indeed, they are sharing the love. Uh, Jomez does do a very good job. I'm not gonna say that one is superior over the other. Sometimes conversations, and Larry says uh, the, the conversation isn't allowed to run its course when we're limited to an hour. And uh, there's some truth to that. 
But there's also some truth to let's hurry up and get to the point because we're limited to an hour. Um, when I worked at Vibram, I had a, a 40 minute commute. And if I wanted to watch, if I wanted to listen to Smashbox, it would take me two days of driving to do so. And I'd rather give people a smaller segment that's more digestible. So I'm, I'd rather get to the point relatively quickly. Uh, Charlie Cavalier, Steve, what you do is what you do think is the ideal amount of what do you think is the ideal amount of players for a pro tour event, assuming payout isn't affected via more sponsors or raised entry fees. Um, that's a great question, uh, Charlie Cav. And in my opinion, the ideal number is 144 MPO players. And if we can get there, 144 FPO players. But realistically, there's not enough room for that. I think we'd be looking at once once we get FPO up, maybe 108 on both sides. But right now, excuse me, right now, I'd like to see 144 MPO and I'd like to see 36 FPO. Um, and of those MPO players, I'd like to see 72 touring pro players. We haven't gotten there yet as getting getting the numbers up. But I'd like to see 72 touring pro players, and I'd like to see 72 regional guys who want to make a run. Uh, and once we get to the point where that's kind of consistently happening, we can actually compare regions and say, this region did better against the pros than this region. So uh, these are all kind of little extra thoughts that I have as to how it would be great if we got to this point. So, uh, William Laney, due to internet reasons, is that the lack of, is that the lack of live coverage? Well, we, we have live coverage for every event. Uh, William, if you could clarify that, um, there's a couple of things you might mean. Number one, live coverage for the women uh, the reason we don't have live coverage of the women is because our costs would would nearly double. The only thing we'd be saving uh, is travel, but everything else would would double in cost. Uh, and frankly, we don't have the advertising to make that happen. We're uh, we're scraping and making things work as it is, so we don't have the finances to do two live streams. So the other thing you might mean is uh, why don't you have more cards being covered live? Uh, so a second MBO card or a third MBO card. And the reason for that is quite simply the same idea. So every card that you add, uh, you're adding cost and you're adding complication in the back end. So Johnny's doing the producing. He's looking at multiple uh, cameras coming in. He's not able to save data from another camera yet. And so unless that camera just happened, unless they happen to be making a putt while the other cameras or while the lead card isn't doing anything and we're not running an ad, that camera would almost never be used. So uh, that's the reason for not having that extra expense without, because we wouldn't get enough value from that expense. We're hoping that the software in increases its capabilities and, and then we could hire someone to sit next to Johnny. He could clip out MPO2 good shots and then we could say previously on hole seven just like the pga does but until the software improves we we're not able to do that um during the live coverage uh when the live on course audio and the commentary audio were playing at the same time it was a little overwhelming a lot of feedback 
maybe EQ it differently next time. That's a David. That's a good uh, a good suggestion. I will have I will say that exact thing to Johnny, and uh, and we will see how he responds to that. And it would be pretty easy, I think, to turn the the volume down on the on course mic just a skosh to make uh, to make that not quite as uh, to not quite as bothersome. Uh, and you mentioned that on Smashbox, so they probably know it already. Any chance of showing players first throw with walkout music they choose heard and clip? I love that concept. Uh, the GBO does that idea, but no other events do that right now. I just want to give you your cards oh. uh, while I'm going around closing doors and stuff. You'd be just waiting. Thank you very much. All right, we are free to check out anytime. Wait, that's not my card. Audrey, would you go give her that? Yeah! <laughs> that just got really funny. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. So, uh, Michael, uh, the GBO does the, the, the music for the players. Most events don't do that. That's something really special that the GBO does. So, I found Dad's bald face. There we go. I'm good now. Uh, I could see an investment with long range Wi-Fi repeaters set up at all of the tourneys, set them up, then take them to the next tourney. Um, I agree with that entirely. Uh, we actually did try that at the Players Cup in 2010. Now, granted, this, uh, the uh, infrastructure has probably improved quite a bit since then, but uh, the, uh, the only real issue with that is, number one, you need Wi-Fi at the course. At SFO, we did not have that at all. And number two, you need another person that knows exactly how to set that up on every course. So they'd have to show up a few days before the event, set it up, test it, and then after the event, break it all down, pack it up, and put it in the trailer. Um, that's not a person that we have right now. So there's, you know, it's, a, it's at least a, a $20,000 expense, uh, plus the cost of all the Wi-Fi repeaters. So... Um, yes. Oh, Larry Puckett was an NT that didn't have live coverage and it was a bad signal. That's, that's true. Um, we, we make sure to have, well, we try to make sure to have good signal everywhere we go. Um, Waco and Maple Hill are the notable exceptions where Maple in the back and Waco in the, in the woods in some places doesn't quite have great signal. Is Patrick still working with you? How's the truck running? Uh, Patrick is running, the, the truck is running great. Patrick's running great. And uh, he is doing phenomenally. And if you're going to be at Beaver State, Patrick is going to be there with the MPH range. Stop by, say hello, buy some Pro Tour merchandise and, uh, and see how fast you can throw and see if you can win a basket or a bag. Uh, you have an opportunity to, to do the speed range and win prizes. So go, go, go. And... I think that's it. I think I caught up to all the questions and I'm sorry that we weren't able to get Jeff spring on here. We will, uh, we will try to get him on next week and, uh, and do some catch up with Jeff about pro worlds, about liaisoning with the PDGA and, uh, and any other questions that come up, but I'm actually kind of glad the way this worked out. Cause it was fun getting into that other side and reading those questions and answer them with y'all. So you guys have a great night, and we look forward to talking to you next time on Pro Tour Talk.